Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, y'all. It's Jacqueline. Before I hit the intro music on this amazing and timely bonus episode that I can't wait for you to hear... I want to tell you one thing, which is at the very end of the show, I say, oh, hey, I'll release the dates for the Believe Me Tour in a few weeks. And that's not true. I'm releasing them sometime this week, possibly today when you're listening to this. Check my website at JacquelineFreeman.com. Check my socials, JacquelineF on Twitter, JacquelineFable on Instagram. Believe Me, How Trusting Women Can Change the World is coming out January 28th. If you love me, you'll pre-order it. Pre-orders are life for a book. And please, please check out the tour schedule and come say hi. I was one of my favorite things about the Unscrewed tour was meeting so many listeners in person. Um, And if you don't see your city on the list, hit me up and we'll see if we can make it happen. I had a couple of great events happen last time around just because people reached out and said, hey, what if you were to come to my city? And we found a way to make it work. So... Believe me, coming out January 28th, that's super soon. I'm hitting the road to talk all about how we can change the world by just treating women as fucking credible. And I'll have a rotating cast of some of our amazing contributors with me at a lot of the events. So that's even an extra bonus. Okay, I'm stopping yammering. Here is the show. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and welcome to a special bonus edition of Unscrewed that I promised you because I kind of flaked on the season. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to make it up to you right now because my guest for this show is Amber Rollo, who confronted Harvey Weinstein at the Comedy Club Actors event in the end of October that you probably heard about. And she is a bonafide fucking hero. And I <laughs> <laughs> cannot wait to get into it with her. So let's not wait. Amber, welcome to Unscrewed. Thank you so much for having me. Again, not a hero, but I appreciate it. Thank you don't you get for, to decide that. <laughs> you, I mean... That is one of those things. It's like being an ally. It's uh-huh. like getting a nickname. Like it's not up to you. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate the, and I said this before we started recording, but I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, so I, I really can't say that enough, but um, I'm so happy to be here. Amazing. So obviously I have a million questions for you, 
But we first have to start with the lightning round. So what's making you happy this week? Okay, that is a really great question because every day I try to write a gratitude list because there's so much horrible things going on in the world Mm -hmm. that I try to focus on the positive. Something really dumb that's making me happy is I recently got into making slime after watching a bunch of ASMR (laughs) slime videos. Like, you can't do that on television? You're probably too young for you can't do that on television. Different than the Nickelodeon slime. It's more like, uh, it's in between Nickelodeon slime and, like, putty. So you can, oh, it's like... Oh, it's like a thicker, less more... Gooey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun to play with. You can put sparkles in it and stuff. Um, but connected... slime. <laughs> but connected with uh, what I'm talking to you about today, something that's really making me happy is when people hear about how... Zoe and Kelly and myself um, confronted Harvey Weinstein. They tell me stories about other monsters that they were rude to at one point in time. And I really, really enjoy that a lot. Um, So anybody who wants to tell me stories about that, I really appreciate it. It brings joy into my life. That is amazing. Next question is, what is the best sex advice you ever received? I would say to have fun, to laugh, to not take it seriously. You know, you make mistakes in the bedroom and to get goofy with it. I love that advice. That changes everything when you realize that sex is not like some solemn occasion. (laughs) Yeah, it's not some serious ritual. It's fun. It's play. Um, Please, yeah, have fun. Yeah. What's been making you the maddest or saddest about the sexual culture lately? I would say this idea that there is any correct way to experience your trauma is really making me mad right now, especially the idea that survivors have to tell their story. It's your story, no matter when you want to talk about it, how you want to talk about it. uh, It's yours. You own it. And um, absolutely don't let anyone push you into telling it if you don't want to. Amen. Yes. (laughs) Amen. Okay, what is the biggest sex myth that you used to believe but don't believe anymore? Oh my god, there's a bunch of ones. Uh, I think on one of your recent episodes, you talked about the swallowing a watermelon seed and it making you pregnant, (laughs) which I definitely heard as a child. Did you really? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know where that comes from. It must be something about swallowing seed and there being like some connection to semen there, but it's really weird. Um, And not having any idea how women's bodies were. Well, yeah, that that as well. Um, (laughs) But I think the most common one that comes up in my head is just this idea that you should feel guilty for feeling pleasure or feel ashamed. I used to just always feel riddled with guilt after I masturbated. And it took a lot of work to unlearn that pattern. Um, It's, yeah, sex is not something you should feel ashamed or guilty of. And pleasure is something you should feel happy and proud of. All right, last question. Who is someone who's doing brave work to unscrew the sexual culture that you want to give a shout out to? There's so many amazing people doing amazing work right now. Um, I would say someone that pops into my head is Christina Pitter. She's she's an artist. She's a poet. She's a storyteller. um, And she started this collective called the Ash Collective. And she has a solo show on it called Decolonizing My Vagina. And I don't know. I just love everything that she does. I don't know if she knows that I'm such a huge fan. She is my friend. But uh, I just I love that she um, 
is openly erotic with her work. Anyone that's doing work where you can, that shows the world you can be both erotic and political. You can be like both an activist and be sexual really um, blows my mind and makes me happy. And yeah, she's doing that work. Uh, I am, as soon as we're done with this recording, I'm going to go Google decolonizing my vagina. Okay. She's off. Yeah, she's awesome. And it's, it's an awesome show. That's amazing. Okay. You survived the lightning round. Thank you. You prepared, so- I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> you got to prepare. I mean, I, I don't know. I was always a good student. So, <laughs> well, you get an A. Oh, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. You don't know how much that means to me. Oh. Uh, positive affirmations are my love language. I am literally the same <laughs> way. I, want, I like go to therapy and all I want is for my therapist to approve of me. Yeah. Oh, yeah um, 100%. <laughs> okay so i want to start by just asking you to tell us about the night in question just wherever you want to start whatever you think is important for everybody to know like get us grounded i'm assuming most people who listen to this show have heard about it but like tell us what it was like for you okay so I was going to this show that was put on by two different organizations, Actors Hour and Fundraiser Underground. And I had performed on a variety show put on by Fundraiser Underground before. Actually, I had performed on two of their shows. And I liked the work that they were doing. And I looked at Actors Hour. And something that really intrigued me about them was that they were trying to build this community of actors and artists uh, and help lift each other up. And I really enjoyed that. So um when they sent me a ticket to this show, it was a speakeasy show. You only found out the location once you got a ticket. I was excited. Um, also, my friend Kelly Bachman was performing on the show. So I was like, yeah, I'll go and support her. I don't have uh, a show tonight, so I would love to support other artists. So I went. And um, as I was sitting there, I introduced myself to the guy next to me because I knew that the whole audience was full of artists and he was probably an artist and he was an actor and he talked to me and I asked him how he found out about the event. And, um, he was like, I'm just an actor. I heard about it in the scene. And I actually went to their last event actors hours last show. Um, and he's like, and something weird happened. Harvey Weinstein was there. So this is like at the very beginning of the whole night. And I was like, Oh, God, what? Um, I have so many questions about that. I'm going to need to ask the people of Fundraiser <laughs> what that's about. I'm going to need to ask Actors Hour people what that's about. I'm going to, I'm so glad he's not here right now. Okay, like I have to like figure out what I'm going to do. And I also knew that Kelly was coming. And I know that Kelly, like myself, is a survivor and she is performing that night and uh, I didn't want to put her in the wrong headspace. So when she came, I didn't tell her what I had just heard because I didn't want to shock her unnecessarily. And then she, as she was talking to me, she looked over my shoulder and at a table behind me was Harvey Weinstein. And she said, yeah. And she was like, is that him? And I was like, well, I didn't even need to look because of the story I'd just been told. I was like, oh, I know that's him. Um, so we were... So what did that... I mean, I my heart is racing just thinking about suddenly realizing I'm in a room with that motherfucker. Like... I was in shock. I was in shock. And I, um, I think on one of these... Uh, on one of your episodes recently, you talked about how 
There's also um, these expectations of how women experience emotions. And um, I don't like break down and, and cry in public. It's, I just, um, I'm very protective of my emotions. I'll just go into a shell. I'll have like nothing showing really. And so I, um, I was in shock. My, my gut was in my feet. Um, I felt protective of Kelly and the situation that she was thrown into. Um, I have four sisters. I have like very, uh, mama bear energy. And, um, I started talking to her about it, figuring out what she wanted to do. I was like, do you want to leave right now? Do you want to perform? Do you want to talk about it on stage? Do you not want to talk about it on stage? Like what, or what is the situation that we're in? How do we get out of it? Um, it felt very twilight zoney. A lot of my memory of that night is like hazy. I felt like I was watching yeah. all of my actions in slow motion and outside of myself. I mean, it sounds like itself a kind of trauma, right? That, that, that is the kind of head state that we get in for traumatic experiences. Cause you go, your body yeah. goes into survival mode. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. And I'm just like, okay, logic because I can't take emotions right now. What's going on? So she eventually decided to talk about it on stage. And I'm really proud and impressed that she was able to do that and be funny about it at the same time. And she was booed by the audience uh, and told to shut up, which is ridiculous because this is not any predator. This is Harvey Weinstein. He's like the anti-symbol of the Me Too movement. How is the room on his side? What is going on? I was like, what? what? Was that surprising to you um, that she was booed and that he was defended by the room? You know, it was and it wasn't. I was like, I had my, my optimistic self had this idea that the room would support her. But then there's the side of me that has been booed and heckled for telling my stories on stage. And I, I just didn't know it would go that far. I was surprised that it was in reaction to Harvey Weinstein. I thought that we <laughs> all knew this was like the one guy that was like the, the bad guy. Everyone He's knows like that. the guy literally yesterday. This is a little bit of an aside, but literally yesterday I got a message from a friend of a friend who's friends with the guy who got kicked off survivor for like vi consistently violating this woman's boundaries i don't know if you followed this i haven't i've only I barely did. followed yeah. this but um and she was like can you intervene in this conversation because he's getting deluged and it's not like he's harvey weinstein that's right right like he's that's the guy who everyone brings up as like he's not harvey weinstein right exactly. but he literally weinstein. is harvey weinstein <laughs> It's, I was, I was shocked, yes, that it went to that level. And I was like, okay, wow. Um, and then she continued her set. I don't know how. Um, she got off stage. I felt more unsafe, more protective than I did before. We like sort of huddled off in a corner and waited until we had an opportunity to leave. Also, a really scary part of this was that his table was on the way out of the club. Jesus. You couldn't leave without passing him. 
we considered going out of a fire escape that said, you know, like exit, you know, like emergency exit only, but we're like, Oh, don't want to set off alarms or whatever. So it came to intermission and we were figuring out how to leave. And we um, approached the organizer of fundraiser underground and we're like, Hey, did you, cause we finally saw him when we were like, Hey, did you know that he was in the audience? And they were like, no, it was last minute. Uh, the organizer of actors hour invited him. That's how he got into the event. We had no idea. Um, we're so sorry. This, it, this wasn't what we meant to happen. And as we were having this conversation with him, Zoe started yelling at the audience and the entire room and bringing attention to Harvey Weinstein being there and saying, you know, like, why is he here? Is nobody going to say anything? Like, what are we doing? How am I, how am I allowed to stand like feet away from this monster and nobody is saying anything. And they were um, absolutely rightly upset they were crying and the venue kicked them out of kick them bar. out instead of Harvey fucking Weinstein. Like, yeah. Imagine like looking at your choices and being like, should I kick out the person who is standing up to Harvey Weinstein or Harvey Weinstein and making that choice? Yeah. And downtime bar later like came out in an instagram story saying that zoe was making a scene and heckling harvey weinstein and they wanted everyone to feel comfortable in the venue and i'm like i am not comfortable with harvey weinstein being there yeah, who is, is fucking everyone in that sentence uh, uh so it's it was um upsetting and i as zoe was being escorted out went up behind them and went up to Harvey Weinstein's table and confronted him. And like I said, my memory from that night is a little bit hazy. I can't tell you exactly what I said. I know I said, Zoe is right. You don't belong here. You should disappear. I know that I, I um, told him to fuck off. I was screaming at him, asking him why he was there and he wasn't reacting at all was he looking at you yeah he was looking directly at me um but not no reaction no like like he was like politely listening to i don't know an npr podcast it was really like there was nothing on his face it was very disturbing he had two people with him well he had like five people with him at his table but he had two men with him at his table and one man asked me who i was in a condescending manner, like who you're are not you? important enough to yeah, be making a scene. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, Oh, great. Well, okay. Um, and then the other man called me uh, the C word. And that was uh, really upsetting to me in the moment because of the way the tone and the hate that he had with that word. And then the one of the women who was at Harvey Weinstein's table 
stood up at that point because I think she saw the like extreme anger in my face and the way I was looking at the wine glass on the table and the way I kept on looking at all of them like I was going to lunge across the table and attack him which I really really wanted to do but I didn't and she got up and she said you should probably leave now and she like guided Kelly and I out of the bar out of the club. 
were getting traction before this and have stopped getting traction since it. So I wouldn't say that it's only affected my career positively. I would say there are people who say that I'm like getting on the gravy train. And um, I can tell you that there's just not that much gravy. <laughs> I, uh, I spent a lot of time doing interviews and, and telling the story for free. And obviously, I mean, I'm talking to you for free. And I, I do that work because it's something that I believe in. And I also don't believe that interviews should be paid because of the nature of reporting. It just wouldn't be right. I have openly said online that I think I and all writers should be paid for articles, no matter what the subject. Um, <laughs> is that a controversial opinion? Yeah, it is. It is apparently. Apparently, it. I'm not legitimate if I get paid for articles that I write about it. It's really. Uh, it's 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 very weird the ideas like that people drag into this. There's so many spokes and so many different ways that people come at you because they're defensive about these topics and um it's hard to stay open and listen because i believe that some people can change and some people are just trolls some people are just edgelords saying things for the sake of saying things but i do want to remain open for the people who can change and i can have real conversations with but telling the difference is really hard. It's really, really hard. It's really, yeah. I had a, I had a um, person who I ultimately uh, decided was on the edgelord side of things who I thought when they started the conversation with me that they were a sincere person looking to have a conversation. And I, I spent a lot of time talking to them and trying to explain to them why it's not necessary for survivors to tell their story explicitly, publicly, if they're not ready to or, you know, ever. There's not like, does it need to be an ever? Um, and, uh, and then this person like came at me with a bunch of other arguments and I eventually realized that they were um, doing it as a sort of a trolling tactic and they were doing it to gain publicity for themselves. And so um, I eventually let them go. But on the other hand, Jacqueline, I'm kind of glad that I had that conversation with that person, even though they are a troll, I had the conversation pretty publicly. And I, I think even if they didn't change their mind, maybe there was someone else reading it, who realized or had some eye opening moment when they saw the way that I responded with logic and love and empathy as much as I could. Yeah, I mean, I think about that all the time. Like, I engage with people not just to change their minds, but knowing that there are people listening. I mean, and I feel like your story of that night is is actually a huge example of that. Like, it, it doesn't seem like you convinced a lot of people in the room, right? But that yeah. you told a world full of survivors and allies that, like, it's possible to stand up to this and that you don't have to just quietly accept this uh yeah. and that it matters so much it ma i mean look I, I know i said this in the email is prep for this interview like as much as i found what you did so inspiring and heroic i was really demoralized about how the room was not on your side 
right? How so many people in that room in 2019 decided to throw in with Harvey Weinstein. Like, <laughs> like what? Like, how do you even look at yourself in the mirror? I just, I found that really demoralizing. But it it is so important to tell the people who are quietly not, like, not knowing where they stand or not knowing what they are entitled to that they're entitled to dignity and justice. And, and I feel like that's what the three of you, I mean, I, I know it wasn't like some big grand strategy. Like <laughs> you, yeah. didn't, you didn't know you were going to be in that situation in the first place, but I really do feel like for me, that's the meaning of what you did is, is speaking up for all of us. Yeah. And it wasn't some big grand strategy. Although there are people also online who somehow think that it was like, planned or that uh we were plants and i want to be clear that i would not have come to a room that i knew harvey weinstein was going to be in if uh i was told ahead of time I wait who do they uh, think planted you <laughs> i have no idea people have weird ideas online but i have heard this idea that we were like plants which is uh, hilarious to me for some reason because i i can't even Imagine a world where I would be like, yes, Harvey Weinstein is going to be in the room. Yes, I will be there. Sign me up up for that sleep (laughs) for the next week. I would really love the nightmares. Thank you. Yes. Um, No. But I do think that there was, it was kind of amazing in that we got to approach it from so many different sides. Kelly got to talk about it from stage and with the power of a microphone um, Zoe t- approached the entire room and and had them look at themselves, and I got to talk directly to the monster himself, and that I think has made it a powerful story of the ways that we can approach and uh, take down this sort of system in the future. Have you all thought about like forming a feminist vengeance squad? <laughs> You know, at my last job, uh, I worked at a startup and there were like microaggressions. And I don't know if you've read the book Feminist Fight Club, but I did start a feminist fight Jessica club. Jessica Bennett, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, Jessica Bennett. I would like to, I haven't gotten to uh, organize and I know that we're all still sort of getting our footing after all of this. But yeah, I think that would be that would be really cool making some sort of organization or vengeance squad after sign me up seriously (laughs) please let me be a charter member i will definitely yeah absolutely i'll let you know feminist vengeance is my whole mood for 2020 (laughs) oh oh my god i uh I also like have been watching cartoons and these like I I do really silly things in between all the serious heavy stuff like making slime and watching cartoons and uh, I was recently watching Sailor Moon and that makes me think that that would be a great sort of feminist vengeance fight club. Yes. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about you like outside I, you have a whole career outside of this incident and you're a wow a, really yeah no it's amazing so tell me about your career I'd love to hear specifically how being a survivor has impacted the kind of work that you've done it sounds like you have talked about it from stage before what's it like being a survivor in the entertainment business right now like 
tell me tell me more about you and and what you're doing yeah absolutely I am a stand-up comedian I love to make people laugh that's my ultimate goal um but I only want to do it to help other people heal The, the reason I got into comedy is because um I've had a hard life. My parents died when I was young. I am a survivor. I've gone through a lot of different types of trauma. And throughout it, I found that laughing is the most cathartic, helpful way that I've passed through different phases of trauma. I had this podcast called Daddyless Issues that I talked about earlier with Chanel Ali. And um, I used to make sketch comedy videos with the intersectional sketch comedy group called The Box. And in every facet of everything that I've done, behind making people laugh is trying to help people and connect with people. I talk about very dark topics and try to make them funny as best I can. And I love that moment when I get off stage and someone comes up to me and is like, hey, I've experienced that thing too. And I really appreciated laughing about it because I needed that. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's rare and it's, uh, it's weird. Stand-up comedy is um, an art form that's been really dominated by cis white male men for a very long time and there are some cis white male men who are comedians who I love and work with all the time but I think there are other stories to be told so throughout my career in comedy I've tried to bring as many other types of stories into the conversation as possible I produce a lot of stand-up shows I produce a show called stoked comedy and I'm always cognizant of um it's a showcase, so we get like five stand-up comedians, and I always try to make sure that there's a variety of stories being told on stage so that there are a variety of people in the audience who can identify. That's so powerful. I remember I saw Hannah Gadsby do Douglas earlier this mm-hmm. year, and I had this moment in that room. I forget what the joke was, but... It was just so I felt so seen and I was like, this is what men must feel like all the time. Like, this is what this feels so good right now. (laughs) And like laughing with this giant room full of women who all understand this thing. And like, this is what men must feel like all the time. I know. It's amazing. It's so and it's like that laugh that comes from like your gut because it's like, yes, that's me. Yeah, it's. So it's a really beautiful moment. So yeah, I want I want that as much as possible. I know that there's a lot of brouhaha in comedy for good reasons about rape jokes. But mm-hmm. I always like to argue that rape jokes are not off limits. They just have to be done right. So that you're not actually making fun of rape victims. You're making fun of rapists and rape culture. Uh-huh. So my favorite uh-huh. rape joke that I've heard is Wanda Sykes' detachable vagina Oh my gosh, yes. But I wonder if you have a favorite rape joke. Oh, wow. That is a really great question. I don't know. I don't know that I have a favorite off the top of my head. But you do know that 
Kelly and I helped bring back this show that she produced last year called Rape Jokes by Survivors. And I absolutely agree that rape jokes are not off limits uh, if you do them right and you're not making fun of survivors themselves. It can be funny and it can be cathartic. And the same way that I joke about being an orphan, I joke about being a survivor and it can feel uncomfortable at points, but then the release is so great once you, once you get to it, once you do it right. I do want to warn performers that it might not be the first thing you want to approach. Yeah. It's advanced. Yeah. It's It's, advanced. It's hard to do correctly. Yes. In a way that is both funny and also not harming anyone. At least not anyone who doesn't deserve to be harmed. Yes, Yes, exactly. And then I also want to warn performers that it might not be the best way to first approach healing. Uh, Because you don't know what's going to happen when you get on stage and talk about it. And you want to be strong when you're there. And you want to be strong when you get off stage for the people who are going to come up to you and tell you their own stories. So doing work beforehand, whether that's going to therapy or meditating or journaling or a combination of all of that really helps in order to talk about it on stage. That's great advice. That's important advice that I would not have known. (laughs) So from inside the entertainment industry... What needs to change so that the room is not still defending Harvey Weinstein? How do we get out of this fucked up place, man? So much needs to change. So it's a hard but good question. First, I think more producers who are women, who are survivors, who... And the to be honest, the producer of this show... Uh, Actors Hour was a woman and she still allowed this to happen. So that's not like a a default, but it does come from the producers of the show. They are the ones who are supposed to make sure the room is safe and accommodates the artists in the best way possible and allows for the most productive art to come out of the room. So it really, really starts from them. I am a producer. I produce shows myself. I produce Uh, sketch comedy videos, and I try to keep in mind the way that my artists who are working with me are going to experience the room, and then the way that the audience is going to experience the room. It can't just be like slapstick, throw together all the people you know, or like the last five people who have messaged you, because then it's going to be all the same story. You just need to come at it with a very empathetic way of being and then I don't know there are systems the the clubs are all messed up it's hard to talk about because they're those systems are so inundated with sexism and misogyny and rape culture and it's it's been okay for so long that it it almost makes me want to say like I don't know that I can work within those systems I might have to just go around them and produce shows in alternate venues, which is what I have been doing. But then we get to a question of who's funding that, right? The institutional money is going into the institutional clubs. Yes. um, It's really hard. So I guess 
One thing you could do if you're a listener and you're not a producer and you're not an artist is pay for comedy that represents what you believe in. Like, look at the lineup before you go to a show. Is there a variety of voices being heard? And if they're not, don't go to that show. Like, find something else to support. Is it useful as a audience member to also send an email or a tweet to the venue and be like, hey, I was going to go to your show, but I saw the lineup and I decided nah. Yeah, I do think it is useful to do that. I think that the first couple of people who do it are going to be dismissed and it's going to take a lot of emails in order to really make a change. I think a great thing to do when you send those types of emails is to name specific artists that you would like to see in the club um, because that really gives a venue a way to act on that change rather than just feeling attacked. Because, you know, people get defensive and it's it's, uh, hard to enact change once their guard is up. Where would you recommend we discover new awesome comedy that we're not finding in the mainstream channels well one great place to do it actually is my twitter feed yeah plug plug Uh, (laughs) um my twitter handle is at amber c rollo and i am constantly retweeting you know younger comedians who are not as well known who i think are really funny and doing cool work um so my Twitter feed is a good place to find them. Um, also, my show that I produce with Kelly Bachman and Davidson Boswell and Julie Pinero, they are all my comedy partners. And we produce this show called Stoked Comedy. And uh, twice a month, we have lineups of new comedians who are doing amazing work that you probably haven't heard of yet. And that's in NYC, right? Yeah, it's in yeah, it's in Brooklyn. Uh, it's at this place called Mad Tropical. So if you're in Brooklyn and you want to check those out, you definitely should. And when I'm looking for new comedians, I look at lineups of alt comedy shows. Like I will go to um, the Knitting Factory and see the lineups of comedians they have there, and I'll go to Bushwick Bears and see the lineup of comedians they have there. So look at the. Um, the different like little black box theaters in your neighborhood. Look at the um, shows that are being produced in back rooms of bars and see the artists that are there. Don't be afraid to see new art. And if you see a comedian who you don't jive with um, and just isn't funny to you, uh, don't let that deter you from seeing more. And Because there might be someone out there who just you identify so hard with that you have that uh, full belly laugh. And I don't want you to miss out on that. Aw, that's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) You're like an ambassador of great comedy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I love that uh, title. Thank you. Is there anything you wish I had asked you about that we haven't talked about? No, you asked me so many great questions, Jacqueline. I really appreciated talking to you. Um, Oh, uh, I do have, at the end of January, I'm going to be, if any of your listeners are in New York City, 
I'm going to be uh, running my half hour at the Creek in the Cave the last week of January if you want to come out and see some of my comedy. Amazing. Everyone should go see the show if you're in the area. Uh, and you can find me all the usual places. I'm Jacqueline F. on Twitter and Facebook. Jacqueline Fable on Instagram. JacquelineFriedman.com is where you can find all kinds of shit about me. As well as very soon, in the next week or two, I'm going to be posting all of the upcoming tour dates for my new book, Believe Me, How Trusting Women Can Change the World. It's an anthology and it is boss. I just really can't say enough great things about it. Which <laughs> The nice thing about publishing an anthology is you really get to brag on it in a way that you feel shy yeah. about if it's your own work. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Uh, so I can't wait to travel around and see all of you on tour. So more on that probably the next time there's a show and unscrewed is produced by yours truly Jacqueline Friedman and edited by the fantastic Natalia Rodriguez our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and our in and out music is by the pink tiles and until next time I am wishing you safe and happy sex lives A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.